This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one of the funniest guys in television. Now it's on radio. Michael Loftus will be with us. What does a comedian do in times like this, especially when he comes out and made the hard decision to tell everyone how he feels? He voted for Donald Trump. Jenna Lee, a former Fox News anchor, founder of Smarter News, is in Texas. How did, in fact, President Trump pull off the Rio Grande Valley where he picked up 30 points in just four years? And uh, what is going on with El Paso and this coronavirus? We'll discuss that with her. So that's all coming up this hour. And we'll take your calls in about 12 minutes, one 408 7669 Not expect to see the president today. Uh, he has a meeting. He gets an update on Operation Warp Speed. We have at least, at least two vaccines ready to go as early as the end of the month. Uh, they're going to start being mass distributed. And the president is expected to meet privately with his campaign team to talk about his way forward. 1045 today, sometime in the middle of our show, Eastern Time, Pelosi will hold her weekly press conference where she'll pretend she got a mandate and, of course, talk about how uh, inadequate the president is. But what else is new? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The only mandate that the American public said is they're against socialism. They're against defunding the off the police. And the one thing they really don't want to ha- see is that Nancy Pelosi or the Democrats continue to lead. But we will win the majority in two years. One of the least told stories and success stories for Republicans of what happened in the House. Kevin McCarthy is within, within a whisk or a handful of seats of becoming the next speaker. An 80-year-old. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has never seen the uh, finish line so clearly. Republicans are picking up more House seats now. They picked up one in New York today, and they're about to pick up Burgess Owens, I think, in Utah. Meanwhile, I think the American public are saying, we care about America. We want less AOC in 1619 and even less socialism. Number two. With cases and hospitalizations rising, Chicago is telling its residents to stay inside. Do not have guests over. Avoid unnecessary travel and cancel your traditional Thanksgiving plans. Thanks, Mayor of Chicago, the worst ever. Excuse me, second worst. Not this time. The American people are making it clear they are not locking down again, even if the coronavirus surges. Here's the main reason. They don't work. The pain and destruction are not worth the sacrifice. But is that exactly what Joe Biden will try to do? Number one. There was a win today in Pennsylvania for the campaign and for voters alike. This supports our continued assertion that the Secretary of State continues to play fast and loose with statutory dates and deadlines and has done so throughout this entire election. And that is Matt Morgan, the Trump campaign press call. That was the message. The fight continues for President Trump as recounts and challenges are picking up steam 10 days after Election Day. So we're looking at a recount in Wisconsin, looking at a recount in Georgia. It already started by hand every single ballot. And the president got a victory in Pennsylvania because it now says a judge revealed that you should not change the rules a couple of days before the election where you can accept 
ballots after Election Day. you got to be kidding me. Or on Election Day, that can't be the case. We're still waiting on North Carolina. Two other networks have picked Arizona. The president has not given up on any of these. He really feels as though he was not beaten. This is all about the election process. I wouldn't say fraud or rob, just say he doesn't feel like he was beaten. And some people are pointing in this Dominion voting machine. Now, I'm reading the New York Times, reading some others that said there was a problem, but before anything was tallied, they fixed the problem, and it was user error, essentially, in Michigan, user error in Pennsylvania. Uh, Lieutenant Kurt Governor Dan Patrick was not buying it. He actually owns our great affiliate KSEV. Cut four. Let's just put it this way. If Dominion were designing software for an airplane, I would not advise you to get on it. These are, in my view, a piece of junk. And we said we cannot have these machines in our state. Furthermore, our our experts said these are prone to manipulation and fraud. And in one case, one of our experts, Sean, took their cell phone, hooked it up to a USB port, and were able to download all of the information from that voting machine into their cell phone. Uh, These machines were used in Maricopa County. We need a recount. 65 of 83 counties in Michigan. We need all of those to be recounted. So the New York Times has a story today. Say Dominion's fine. They were used in two of five counties in Michigan and Georgia. Uh, Problems were not software related. The problem was user error, they claim, in Michigan. Uh, And they said that they fixed it. In Georgia, it delayed the reporting on the tallies and it slowed down the ability to check in. That's it. So we'll see where this goes. But that's the type of thing that would turn the president into the president's direction. In Pennsylvania, it's a win. It's a win for the next election cycle, too. But it might not change enough, maybe 10,000 votes. And he's trailing by over 50,000 votes. And that's indeed the issue. But the president is holding out a hope that this fight will turn around. One of the quotes said to me was, he feels as though if he lost, he'd have no problem with it. But he doesn't feel uh, like he lost. So that's the problem. Now, in terms of what the former president's thinking and what the vice president's thinking, he said the president is an embarrassment for not accepting defeat. For President Obama, who's got another biography out in his life, he said this to, uh, to Scott Pelley and Gail King. He talked about how it's insulting to the American people. Cut seven. When Donald Trump won, I stayed up until 2.30 in the morning, and I then called Donald Trump to congratulate him. His margin of victory over Hillary Clinton wasn't greater than yeah. Joe Biden's, Biden's margin yeah. over him. Yeah. But if you are listening to some of the talk radio that Trump voters are listening to, if you're watching Fox News, if you're getting these tweets, those allegations are presented as facts. So you've got millions of people out there who think, oh, yeah, there must be cheating because the president said so. Well, uh, number one, the president tweeted out things that should be explored. And don't act like uh, everybody that supports the president is an idiot or watches Fox News is a moron. And I'm so tired of him saying that. This guy's obsessed with us and talk radio. He was obsessed. The first thing he did is declare war on Barack Obama, on uh, Rush Limbaugh when he was president-elect Barack Obama. He said he's really running the party. Can you imagine if he was dealing with the headwinds that Donald Trump is dealing with, which is everybody? Listen to what President Obama went on to say. Cut five. What are these false claims of widespread election fraud doing to our country right now? They appear to be motivated in part because uh, the president doesn't like to lose and uh, never admits loss. Um, I'm more troubled by the fact that other Republican officials who clearly know better are going along with this, are 
humoring him in this fashion. Um, it is one more step in delegitimizing not just the incoming Biden administration, but democracy generally. And that's a dangerous path. So to President Obama's credit, if I remember correctly, he was the one who called Hillary and said, concede you lost. And I did not know he called President Trump in the middle of the night at 2.30 in the morning, but that's fine. But for the most part, I'm just shocked how he's still acting so partisan all these years later. You know, he led the charge in 2018, and he did more campaigning for Joe Biden down the stretch than Joe Biden did for Joe Biden down the stretch. But I'm amazed the fact that when people actually don't agree with him, like, for example, does he bring up the fact or does Scott Pelley, I don't know, follow up the saying that Hillary Clinton never accepted defeat? Does she bring up the fact that there were challenges to Ohio uh, up at for weeks afterwards? And when Al Gore decided to take his concession back to George W. Bush, was that something that was uh, beyond the pale? What he sees is the first time, and to me, it's so easy to be diplomatic about this, and he can do it. He said, for the first time in a long time ever, we had massive mail-in balloting. We still have not come... uh, compiled all the tallies. Now, according to projections, it looks like Joe Biden won. But I can understand you feeling as though when you go to bed, you have a big lead and you wake up and that lead is gone, how you are a little bitter about that. He could easily do that. George W. Bush does it all the time. It's just almost impossible. And we're going to hear this nonstop. A little bit later, I'm going to play something where he brings up race. And that's how Donald Trump got elected. You got to be kidding me. Race has nothing to do with it. Race, you just were elected twice overwhelmingly. You, you're, you're richer than any former president, I think, ever since leaving office. Uh, you've packed crowds wherever you go. You looked at internationally with, with great esteem. But it's people had a problem with your policies, not with you. In fact, you benefited. Your party's the one that went up in flames. Ari Fleischer went in. And Ari Fleischer is hardly uh, a, a Trumper uh, through and through. He didn't vote for him the first time. He did vote for him in 2020. Here's what he said about all these challenges. Cut 13. This doesn't delegitimize our elections. It legitimizes them. This is the exact type of review you do after to give people faith that the system is proper. If it is proper and we find very few or nothing was done wrong, that's good. We should all know it. But if they find things, just like when Kaylee McNamee was talking about those seven counties in Pennsylvania where Democrats get to cure their ballots in advance, contrary to the law, and Republicans don't? Sean, that's exactly what the Democrats did to the Bush campaign in Florida in 2000. They sought a recount in the three most Democratic states run by Democratic officials. So we've seen this game plan before. It doesn't mean that they're going to be able to get the president over the top. I I think the margin is too high for him to climb. But it is good government. It's what you do after an election, especially a close one. Right. And I I don't think there's anything unreasonable. Jonathan Turley, the same thing. He can't believe the double standard. But I don't want to put words in his mouth. You'll hear from him later. But that software is the big one. If Dominion proved to be somehow deficient in any way, in a massive way, that'll be an issue. For example, in Michigan, uh, there was one pro, there was one Republican district that was for Biden Biden by 3,000 votes. So they went back into it and they realized there was a problem with this. There was a problem uh, with the way the uh, the way the ballots were banged in. So they went back, re-ran them, and it turns out Donald Trump won it by 3,000 votes. Now, I ask you, if I was me, I'd go, okay, what about everything else? What if there was something in a split district and it went to one side and not the other? In Oakland County, Michigan, um, they, um, they actually put through ballots twice, but the officials noticed it and they fixed it. They said before it would ever enter the tally. But 
To me, you're pointing out errors in the system. And you said you fixed it. But why do, what about if there were other errors that you didn't fix? I think it's worthy of a look. I don't think that's being a sore loser. I don't think that's, I don't think that's disrespectful to Joe Biden. I think by the 20th, the things aren't uh, ironed out. The president should probably acquiesce. If there's nothing that they could find in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, in, in Georgia, to change things around, especially with that recount. one 408 7669 We come back. I want to talk a little about the lockout that might be coming our way and how the Wall Street Journal flat out nailed it, why we can't do it again. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We could pay for a package right now to cover all of the wages, lost wages for individual workers, for losses to small companies, to medium-sized companies. Then we could lock down for four to six weeks. That is Dr. Osterholm, one of advisors to Joe Biden, thinks it's no big deal about locking down the next four to six weeks. you got to be kidding me. Uh, Merkel is locked down to save Christmas. It's not going to work. All it does is put everything on pause. And I just love the fact that a Gallup poll came out and only 51% of you said you will not lock down if everyone tells you to. 49% said you basically live with it. And here's what the Wall Street Journal editorial said. Did they learn any from from the spring events? Lockdowns don't crush the virus. They merely delay its spread until the lockdown ends. Targeted restrictions on people and businesses may be needed in an emergency in some locations to prevent hospitals from being overrun, though even in the government can surge medical resources. Look at El Paso. We better not. And I'm telling you, no one's going along with it. Debbie, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Debbie. Yes, um, you just played the clip of Obama talking about how offensive and everything that it was to not accept the results of this election, but they spent four years insulting all of us who elected President Trump. And, you know, but that's okay. You're chumps. You're chumps and you're deplorable. 
It's unbelievable. He acts like you're just morons who just watch Fox News to learn how to think. When everybody knows we, we get criticized by putting too many points of view on people because people usually just want one. They don't want people that disagree with them. And we have more views on. And he doesn't even watch the channel. He just knows how to deride the channel. When's he gonna when's he gonna get past this partisanship, you know, Debbie? Well, it's upsetting to me because we had to we voted Trump in and they never accepted that. I know. And we're always on the wrong side and so now we're being horrible because we won't accept Trump. I mean, you know, his Biden. um defeat if that's what you call it. Um, it's just so it, it's maddening. I hear you. Uh, thanks, Debbie. Uh, don't, you know, obviously, don't let that affect your psyche. In fact, it makes people double down. That's why some question whether Barack Obama helps or hurts, because he polarizes so much. He motivates Republicans. Jim, listening in Pennsylvania. Hey, Jim. Yeah, I, I just uh, think that we ought to give Donald Trump a chance. He's been a great president. We held the ha- we picked up in the House, lost one in the Senate. And that's what bothers me, that we got gained all that and he didn't win. At least let us count those votes and make sure. I, I don't care for Harris. I don't care for Biden. But if if he's uh, the president, Biden's the president, he's the president. We'll accept it. But let's count the votes for crying out loud. They're not even done yet. I mean, we're at, I know. Yeah, they're not even done. They're not done in Arizona. They're not done in North Carolina. They're not done in Pennsylvania. So I would feel better. If it comes to an end and he says and and uh, the president says, Donald Trump says, OK, that's good enough for him. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. But at least get, let's get through it. You know, if Biden's the president, so be it. You know, we, we'll go on to the next election next time around. But then get rid of the mail-in ballots, for crying out loud, Republicans. Get rid of them. Yeah, unrequested mail-in ballots. That has to stop. And instead of this election season, if you have to zero in on it, maybe a week. But why have three debates, two of which happened when the bulk of people already voted? Why don't they bend on this? It's so basic. Susan, listen on WHIO. Susan. Hi. Um, hi. I, I have a, another name that we got called, the Trump voters. Our, Sherrod Brown, our Democrat senator, has called us the spineless followers of Trump. Yeah, wonderful guy. I know. And here's another thing that just, you know, so, you know, I do not know why we cannot get him defeated, uh, Sharon Brown. I don't know. How, I know it's the northeast a part of the state that holds him in there. But this is another thing. I've spent an awful lot of hours. I leave work and I have uh, campaigned for Trump. I did for Romney and I did for McCain. And that's hours away from my job. And what irritates me is, like McCain and Romney, how they completely will, you know, go against the president. And that just is so irritating. Uh, working for Trump may be the last person I work for. Gotcha. Because I don't understand why they just can't stick with the party instead of being so negative. So anyway, I, that's I what I appreciate, I Susan. Say. Thanks for weighing in. And you know, go take a run at Sherrod Brown. They wanted him to run for president. And he he's one of the few who t- decided not to. Uh, run for president that had, was in there to begin with. Newt Gingrich weighed in about the stakes and what the future is. Cut 11. I think in Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, there are going to be a significant number of suits, many of them based on various and sundry witnesses who are now showing up, who are swearing out affidavits, and 
also on just pure research. I mean, the number of dead people who have been found to have voted uh, is pretty remarkable, some of whom were like 120 years old. Yeah, it's amazing to be 120 and still be able to vote. It's incredible. Uh, there's too many dead people who vote in this, but not enough to flip the election that I have seen so far. But we could clean it up. That would help. one 866 We come back generally. What happened in Texas? Why did it not turn blue? And how did the Rio Grande Valley almost go to Trump? From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Recount Georgia. That recount must start tomorrow. We are ready for it. And unlike in Pennsylvania, at least in Georgia... We have, we will have observing rights to this recount in Georgia. We will have officially designated monitors who will be allowed in recount locations throughout the state. And we will avail ourselves of that right to ensure that what happened in Pennsylvania does not happen in Georgia. And that is uh, Matt Morgan. Uh, Matt Morgan is with the Trump campaign on the press call yesterday trying to explain how happy they are to get a recount in Georgia. But can they make up for tens of thousands of votes where the president was upset there? And at least for now, that red state is uh, blue. Joining me now is Jenna Lee, founder of Smarter News, former Fox News anchor. Jenna, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. The world's gone crazy, but we have not, which is good <laughs> news. I thought it would be the other way around. You and I had gone crazy and the world would be normal. <laughs> How did I get it Maybe so wrong? To, you, you have to add an asterisk so far. Right. <laughs> we haven't gotten crazy yet, but it could happen. Maybe even today. Who knows? It's 2020. Right. Uh, we knows. Yesterday, uh, just to show you how crazy it is here in New York, I got on a train. I did the five. So I got on a, on a 630 or 7 o'clock train. I literally was one of three people on it. When if you're there late, you usually stand. That's how empty the cities are. Los Angeles, it's the same thing. What is it like in Texas? Wow, that's so interesting to hear, Brian. I can definitely understand why that was. That's a strange scene to see in a New York commute. I mean, in Texas, I'm right outside the city of Austin. While the city is quieter and it's certainly there's certainly less traffic, I would say it's more back to normal than it was previously in the spring. And we haven't necessarily seen the acute rise in infections yet in this particular area, as you know, Texas was the first state to pass 1 million COVID cases, but we're seeing it in different areas, and Texas is a really big state. I think most people are behaving with caution, and now we've gotten used to, you know, there's no real question about mask wearing, at least where I am, when you're going into certain areas, going into a restaurant, um, just, you know, your daily life. So, uh, but it's not, it's not the ghost town that it was in the spring, though, and right. it'll be really interesting to see what it looks like over the next several weeks, some of my friends who are nurses are, are very concerned because they saw what it was like when it surged in the area. And they they had that sinking feeling that that's going to happen again. Right. And I think in New York, they said if he gets over three, they're going to start locking down again. I don't know what, what they don't learn from uh, past uh, abysmal failures. And, you know, the unemployment for the country is at 14.7 percent. Now we're down to around six, seven percent. And we still have not fully recovered. Obviously, we have 700,000 people applied for jobless claims. So we're going to go ahead and tell them they're jobless and then not pass any uh, any money in order to try to keep them whole in the meantime. Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who's going to be a Texas congressman, he won his race, looked at some of the new restrictions where restaurants can't open past 10 and gyms may close. Listen to what he said, cut 23. 
some of these recommendations are ridiculous. And, you know, they're putting out now, you know, that you can't, they're, they, you know, that they're going to make a recommend or they're going to make a rule that uh, that restaurants, uh, gyms and bars can't remain open after 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. What changes after 10 p.m. in New York in a gym or in a restaurant? Now, maybe in a bar, more people come in and the, the crowds are bigger. But in a restaurant, right, in a gym, what change? How is coronavirus suddenly so much more prevalent and deadly after 10 p.m. at night? They, I mean, I think people have to take a, you know, government officials that are out there pushing these rules out have to take a more logical approach to this. Yeah, I think it's about time. We're a year into it. Well, we're this is we're it feels like we're a year into it. We haven't necessarily been through this winter season yet with this particular virus. And I think although we've gotten so used to talking about COVID, it bears a reminder that we've never seen this virus before. We still don't know exactly where it came from. And yes, we're making advancements for what you know what and how to treat it. We're still trying to figure out how to live with it. And you have a lot of people on both sides of this argument about really strict guidance and those that believe that we should have no guidance at all. And it just, again, bears the reminder we're sort of part of a big experiment. I mean, this is a huge experiment. We're trying a lot of different things. Some things are going to work. Some things are going to seem ridiculous. And maybe in a year or two, Brian, we'll have some more perspective. But right now, we're still gathering facts. And that that's what makes it a very difficult story to report out as a journalist. You know, you can only report the next best fact. And that fact can be turned over in a matter of a few weeks. You know, it's a very, it's a strange uh, spot to continue to live in. And I know it's frustrating on so many levels. And you see politics entering into it. For example, with Pfizer, evidently they called the Biden camp to say it was ready the week, six days after the election, before they told the Health and Human Services director. He said, I found out about it uh, on a report on Sunday. I wasn't told about it until Monday. What does that sound like to you? They're actually playing with our lives. Well, this, this, the fact that we're even talking about the politics, obviously we have to, Brian, right? The politics are a part of this conversation about treatment. We know the government's going to be very much involved in the distribution of a vaccine. But the conversation, the political conversation about Operation Warp Speed and what Pfizer's a part of it and who called who, and all of that to me means very little to the person that's going to be receiving this vaccine and whether or not it's safe and effective. If this vaccine ends up being the very first one approved, it will be the first mRNA vaccine. It's a new technology to make vaccine ever approved for human use, ever in the, his in the history of the planet, right? This has been very controversial, and some believe this is a new type of technology that will help treat all sorts of viruses as they come up can be potentially very effective, but we don't know a lot about it. And I, I wish that the conversation focused more on that, because ultimately that is what's going to affect your family and mine. Yeah, they're talking about 90 to 95 percent uh, effective, and they just said Moderna is right behind it. What I'm saying is if they could have got it earlier, it would have helped Trump, and maybe that bothered them that they could actually help the president. Speaking of the election, um, let's talk about what's happening in the uh, amongst Democrats. They're in a civil war about the whole defunding the police, the whole socialism, get rid of electoral college, pack the courts. And after the election, they're finally speaking out after they got slaughtered in the House, almost lost it. They were supposed to gain 10 seats. Uh, they were basically just barely holding on to the majority. Here's what Joe Manchin said, cut 28. And then all the other things you're hearing about, Brett, also is defund the police. I don't know if any of the Democrats in the caucus that are for defunding the police. We're not for that whatsoever. And when they talk about basically uh, Medicare for all, we can't even pay for Medicare for some. doesn't make any sense at all. We've got to fix the Affordable Care Act we have, and I think our Republican, moderate Republicans will work with us to now repair what needs to be repaired. 
Yeah, and and but by the way, that is not how the squad feels. Listen to them. They're pushing back. Cut 26. So this term defund, when my constituents and my community is out in the street, heartbroken over far too many people who have been killed um, due to police violence. And again, this is a city issue. Our budget is too high. We have a $6 billion NYPD budget that goes up to $11 billion um, when you include other um, other you know, NYPD-related uh, expenses. And that is more than our city spends on housing, health care. So you get what she's saying, right? That job is so great and it's so lucrative that 2,400 have turned in their badge this year, up 25% from all of last year. We know what they did in Minneapolis, cutting back police. They're now begging for more and borrowing from other cities. And now you have a situation in Seattle where they just cut money, cut the budget in half, and the LAPD, $150 million out. So to fund the police is real, and it hurt them, which is kind of heartening for, for me in America. Well, I, you know, there's a couple of things to think about when, when I hear just a conversation about defund police. One is that there was an interesting piece in The Wall Street Journal yesterday that showed that President Trump actually gained voters. I don't know if you saw this, Brian, in Brooklyn and, and in the South Bronx, in areas that he wouldn't be expected to gain voters. Yes, he lost New York. But the question was raised in that article about just community safety overall and what, this, what the message was regarding that. And on the flip side, just taking it to a national conversation when it comes to defunding the police, we're really talking about a debate about what's happening in urban areas in America. That's another trend that we saw in the 2020 election, that you see a big difference the way that urban areas voted versus the rest of the country. And what those regional differences, what, is that, what does that actually mean about how we can manage America as a whole when there's such big differences simply by the way in which we live and where we live? So it'll be curious. I mean, I'll be really interested to see. We, there's decisions that have to be made locally. I mean, Congress isn't going to be able to necessarily affect a great amount of change in in urban areas that have to make those decisions for themselves and more importantly, I'm really curious what happens in, in, in elections like in the New York City mayoral race, for example. You know, what, what do voters actually say then? So I think it's difficult to take any huge messages on that particular issue from the 2020 campaign in particular. And those that are trying to on either side of the aisle, I think, uh, would be benefited by waiting and waiting yeah. and seeing well, what I, I what, think how, for the most how, part, the American people are horrified by cutting back police. I think, the, let alone the police family and their extended family and friends, but I think cutting back police and acting as if the police brutality is the issue that's plaguing cities. But the problem is, in a Joe Biden administration, he could be using his Department of Justice to investigate these police precincts. We're going to have even le- less effective and less cops out there. I don't think that works for anyone. Well, you, listen, we we all I mean, coming from military family, th- those that serve their communities and put their lives on the line to protect communities are definitely something that in my family we celebrate. I know I'm not like uh, unlike any other family out there like yours, Brian, but we appreciate the service that's being done. I mean, ultimately, like I said, though, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we can get into all these hypothetics. Yeah. I'll be very curious what, what voters actually do on a local level when they're put up to actually vote for people that are pushing these agendas forward. We have seen some of that, you know, some of what's going to happen in Minneapolis on that. But, you know, it's different right after an event or a year that we've had 
there may be some different reflections as we move forward. You know, what does that actually mean for a community? And I just, I would like to wait and see what voters actually say in the way in which they cast their ballots. All right. Uh, Watch her and listen to what she has to say in Smarter News. Uh, Jenna Lee, great to see you. Great to hear from you again. Great to talk to you, Brian. Thank you. All right. Go uh, go check out her site. Uh, you don't have to go anywhere else. She has all the news uh, that's breaking around the country uh, and around the world. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, Michael Loftus, one of the nation's finest comedians, is out and about trying to make a living in an environment where they basically said, comedy clubs, event, arenas, you're closed. What is Michael doing? We'll talk about that. And is there any comedy out there? And do we get any from SNL this weekend? Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In fact, the president is so sure he lost that he is talking privately about running again in 2024. But he's going to be so old by then. Forget descending an escalator. He'll have to make his announcement from a staircase chairlift. I mean, the guy's 74. For Pete's sake, by 2024, he'll be 78, which is... Exactly the right age for a president. Just a number, Joe. You go get him, buddy. Drink that insure. Right, or insure or do what we do, and yet uh, Jake Steinfeld's don't quit drink. It's better than insure. For more on that, Michael Loftus, comedian founder of the Loftus Party uh, and one of the best in the business. Michael, uh, we have not spoken since your man, Donald Trump, lost. Is there comedy in that? Oh, Brian, kill me. You, you see, you're coming at this from the wrong angle, brother. In what way? There is no loss. This election is contested, my friend. I want a recount. I want a full audit. I want my best IT guys looking at Dominion voting systems. I'm right there. <laughs> I'm in the bunker with Donald. I'm like, pass the ammunition, brother. This thing looks this thing looks totally hokey. You so you're not buying it. I'm dude, I'm not buying it at all. I saw a press conference the other day where where some dude, I think it was in Pennsylvania, who was like, now admittedly. We will have votes from dead people. And that's where I'm like, no, the system is broken. Dead people don't vote. We're about to, we're about to have another like uh, a space rocket launch. We live in the age of smartphones and laptops. Dead people don't vote, Brian. Right. That's, just, that's, just, that's a sign something's wrong. And like how many glitches? How many glitches? And can you count one glitch that went for the president? None. Have you ever heard someone go, hey – we made an oopsie. We just found 134,000 uh, votes for Donald Trump. I tell you, you, you'd watch a series of news anchors have a heart attack if that happened. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's really because he's dancing on the edges now in Pennsylvania. You got 10,000 that could get overturned if those they don't count the election, the ballots after they come in. I mean, how hard is that, Michael? It's not hard to, to figure out. Well, let me see if the ballots come in after Election Day and we really can't make out their post date. Should we count them? I say, I don't know, yes. And then the judge yesterday yeah. struck that down. It is, uh, it's crazy. It's no way to run a government. And, and really, this is, we're, we're at a turning point for our, uh, for our nation. There's a lot of things that are coming together at the same time. 
I didn't know this. We have to change the voting laws. We just have we have to end this nonsense. We have to have faith in our elections. You got to show up. You have to have an ID in your hand. Do you know the French got rid of mail-in uh, voting back in '75? All these people are like the rest of the na- the rest of the world is laughing at us when the French are ahead of us. When they're like, no, there is too much fraud. It is too much crazy. We must vote in person and maybe meet the girl, maybe meet another girl, maybe we have a three way. I don't know. One person, one vote. Right. We have to get back to that. I understand. So let me ask you, SNL seems to be flat out a partisan show. It used to be an equal opportunity offender. But listen to uh, Dave Chappelle, who I know you really like, Cut 39. Yeah, Yeah, when he got coronavirus, they said everything about it on the news. But you know what they didn't say? That it was hilarious. (laughs) It was hilarious. Trump getting coronavirus was like when Freddie Mercury got AIDS. Nobody was like, well, how did he get it? (laughs) Do you like the analogy? I, I I didn't quite I didn't quite get it. This is the one time where like Chappelle has uh, has like gone over my head. Can you walk me through that? How is how is coronavirus like AIDS? I what? listen. You're the pro. I'm not. <laughs> uh, have we reached the point where we just laugh at anything Dave Chappelle says? I, I love yeah. the guy. He's a good dude. But that one went right over my head. I mean, and just flat out there clapping, not laughing. Michael, isn't that fundamentally a problem? Aren't you supposed to out there and see the mocking of uh, Biden and Trump, and it really only goes one way? Yeah, that's what – well, I mean, th- th- that ship has sailed on uh, on Saturday Night Live a long time ago. You had an episode – they did an episode – it might have been two years ago now where Adam Sandler hosted, and that was like the best episode they'd done in years because they took shots at the left Everybody. and the right. Sandler, Sandler did. He brought back Opera Man, and I was like, I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Here's and Dave listen. Chappelle talking about something you can relate to, and that's trying to do stand up in this atmosphere. Cut thirty eight. Okay. Had a whole Zoom meeting about me. I didn't talk on a meeting. I was just listening. Man, you should have heard him talking about me. He was saying, "Man, I'm trying to put my children to bed, and I keep hearing this guy screaming all night. My kids are trying to sleep, and all they hear is the N word." I said, "Was I saying it, or were you?" <laughs> So you get it. Uh, so it's hard doing stand-up these days. Where are you going? How are you doing it, especially with the virus coming back? Well, there's there's a waiting list. Really, there there, there really is. Uh, I'm going to states that are open. I'm like in May. I was in in May. I was doing stand-up before Chappelle was. I was at the uh, the Improv in Dallas doing shows. I was recently in Cincinnati doing shows. Then I filmed I filmed a, my new special for Fox Nation, which I don't even know if you knew about that. I did a stand-up special for Fox Nation, shot it in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, sold-out show, which of course was half. The, the club holds about 300 people, so we let 175 in. That's all we could do. So that's that's what most comics are doing. And you've got you've got great comics who normally do theaters that are all going back to the clubs wow. in Oklahoma, so, in Florida, in Texas. And, we're just- and, Michael, we could always find you at the Loftus party. Michael Loftus, thanks so much. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we are at the cusp of another lockout, lockdown here in New York and really around the country. I hope people are smarter than that and will not give into it. We tried that once. All it did is destroy the economy and put everything on pause for now. Uh, we better wait it out and push forward. Meanwhile, Geraldo Rivera is waiting to join us. And at the bottom of the hour, Senator James Langford will be with us. Republicans are standing behind the president as he recounts votes. But I don't know for how much longer as they try to explore some problems that they think exist in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Michigan. And a recount's under, underway in Georgia and one in Wisconsin as well. And they're not too pleased in what's happening in Arizona. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The only mandate that the American public said is they're against socialism. They're against defunding the off the police. And the one thing they really don't want to see is that Nancy Pelosi or the Democrats continue to lead. But we will win the majority in two years. Uh, they're on the cusp. Uh, Congressman or the minority leader Kevin McCarthy. He was on the Ingram angle last night. He says Americans against a lot of what the Democrats stand for, like socialism, like, for example, the 1619 Project, more for 1776. They are against the Electoral College being exited. They are against fattening up the courts, packing the courts. Uh, And that's why so many Republicans had so much success and more to come. Number two. With cases and hospitalizations rising, Chicago is telling its residents to stay inside. Do not have guests over. Avoid unnecessary travel and cancel your traditional Thanksgiving plans. Not this time. Uh, The American people are making it clear they are not locking down again, even if the coronavirus surges. Here's the main reason. They don't work and the uh, the pain and destruction are not worth the sacrifice. But is that exactly what Joe Biden will do? Number one. There was a win today in Pennsylvania for the campaign and for voters alike. This supports our continued assertion that the Secretary of State continues to play fast and loose with statutory dates and deadlines and has done so throughout this entire election. That's Matt Morgan speaking for Donald Trump. The fight continues for President Trump as recounts and challenges are picking up steam 10 days after Election Day. Joining us now, former lawyer. Uh, Fox's uh, finest, Geraldo Rivera. He's at large. That's all I'll tell you. Geraldo, welcome back. Thank you. Always a delight to speak with you, Brian, my friend. So, um, and the stats say that when you do a recount, not much changes. Do you think it'll be any different this time in Georgia, being that we got so many mail-in ballots? You know, the mail-in ballot, I think, is the big story, and we have to keep the focus on it because I really do believe that if there is really unregulated mail-in balloting and that becomes a nationwide phenomenon in every state, you will never have a Republican win a national office. Uh, If you make the voting that easy where you just send it to any registered voter, uh, you know, they get a knock on the door the next day from the party chairman who works the block, uh, did you, uh, Joe, get your ballot in the mail? Yes. Did you fill it out? Uh, no. Okay, let's fill it out together. Okay, why don't I take it and I can bring it to the uh, ballot collection box, box for you. Uh, that kind of harvesting, I fear, is a grave danger uh, to the American uh, democratic system, and I think that it has to be litigated, certainly has to be fought out in the Congress of the United States. Uh, but, but I, having said all that, 
you know, that's the kind of scope of a legal issue you, you need. You need a categorical uh, issue. You need uh, something like uh, all the ballots that arrived three days late will not be counted. That was the Pennsylvania. Uh, more than 33 days late will not be counted. That was the judge's ruling in Pennsylvania that uh, rendered ineligible 10,000 votes, uh, uh, mail-in ballots uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the spread there was 54,000, so you reduce it to 40-odd-thousand uh, with this new uh, judicial ruling. I, to answer your question, I do not believe there are enough outstanding ballots uh, even given this uh, the situation in in uh, Pennsylvania to uh, change the, uh, the the uh the decision especially now you have Arizona coming down just being uh, called for uh, Joe Biden uh you know I think it's over Brian I think that the president after a period of reflection and investigation should uh, leave with grace and dignity well the one thing I would say the Dominion uh, program I'd love to see that software examined uh from an outside source I'm not a software expert but it seems as though they've had a, they've had a problems. And I'm looking at the list here in Georgia. They delayed reporting because the tallies were off. It slowed down the ability to check in. Also in Jordan, there were problems with the software where one Republican district was 2,500 up for a Democrat. They looked at it again and said, "Oops, there was a problem taking in the ballot." They redid it. It turns out the Republican won by 3,000 ballots. So they said, "Well, there was no harm done." And I ask you, if you're in Oakland, the same thing happened. They had a problem in Rochester Hills area in uh, that's Oakland. Um, uh, Oakland County in Michigan. Uh, they un- and they also said that there were some problems with those ballots, but they were able to fix it before it got to the final tally. But if you're the president of the United States and you see that this this Dominion program is all over the place, including Georgia, that might be the problem, especially if you don't believe your eyes that you lost Georgia. Well, I think you're, that's the kind of problem, a systemic problem that I'm talking about. I've only heard about this Dominion uh, software company. Uh, I think that it is extremely difficult to uh, to believe that this company was in on some kind of massive irregularity where they put a glitch uh, in their uh, in their program as, as before they sold it to the state. Uh, election boards. I mean, it would be the most serious kind of cyber crime you could think of. They would be prosecuted to the nth extent. But hey, you know, uh, I've been around long enough that I think that anything is possible. It should certainly be examined. They, they should have the FBI crawling all over Dominion headquarters, talking to these people about their software. There must be ways to check it out. Uh, you know, uh, somebody made it. Uh, somebody was responsible. There's a there's a chain of uh, possession. Uh, you can figure it out, but you got to do it in a hurry, Brian. My point is, uh, we are a Republican influx, right? We're a Republican flux. You have a, a shadow government now. Uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris are uh, the uh, president and vice president elect, respectively, at least in terms of the calls from the media. Uh, you're coming up to the date where the states have to certify their results. There has to be an end to this process. Uh, I'm not saying it's this week, uh, but I think by the end of next week, yeah. uh, you should certainly uh, have resolved or at least uh, understood what these issues are. You can't keep it open. My point is forever, Brian. And there'll be, uh, I guess, a rally, a MAGA rally over the weekend in Washington. Uh, Here's Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick on this very issue. Cut four. Let's just put it this way. If Dominion were designing software for an airplane, I would not advise you to get on it. These are, in my view, a piece of junk. And we said we cannot have these machines in our state. 
Furthermore, that, our expert yeah. said, these are prone to manipulation and fraud. And in one case, one of our experts, Sean, took their cell phone, hooked it up to a USB port, and were able to download all of the information from that voting machine into their cell phone. Uh, these machines were used in Maricopa County. We need a recount. 65 of 83 counties in Michigan. We need all of those to be recounted. And just to make sure. See, that's the type of thing that maybe both sides can get on with, but the New York Times went out of their way to say they don't have a problem with the software. Uh, that, according to their experts that they had for their story. Well, you know, you can discount the New York Times. I like what you said uh, previous to that about a, a bilateral examination. I can't imagine anybody wants a computer program that can be manipulated yeah. to the detriment of democracy. Forget about the detriment of a particular candidate. Uh, but uh, again, I come back to would they do something that brazen? Uh, or is the software just so bad? Is it like the Obamacare software that came out when, uh, when they first uh, got that program going in '09? Uh, you know, uh, but I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm sure there are ways to check it. Uh, maybe uh, they have some mole someplace or, you know what I mean? It's complicated. Maybe maybe it's difficult to find out, but you got to get to the bottom of it. We have the best cyber experts uh, on the planet. It should be easy enough to find out and to dismiss this, and then it would be incumbent on the company to announce that the software was safe and effective uh, and, uh, you know, like, uh, like the vaccine. Uh, I, I can't imagine they could pull one over the eyes of all of these people. And, I, you know, Dan Patrick, lieutenant governor of Texas, uh, kind of a flamboyant guy, uh, you know, prone to making dramatic uh, overstatements. Uh, I, 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 I think that this is adding more to the feeling of instability, or, or destabilized country, and I, I want to get it behind us. It's not healthy. The country is divided enough. You have these competing rallies, as you correctly point out. I'd like to see the president see this process through to his satisfaction uh, when, when, he, when he has resolved it, at least in broad strokes, to graciously concede uh, to leave with dignity, with the knowledge that he's the most successful one-term president ever, that he got three members on the high court, that he remade the economy, he remade these international agreements, he has put the country in a much better footing. Uh, the vaccine is almost here. It's a tragedy. It didn't come down two weeks before. He'd, he'd be a, Not a tragedy. It was president. intentional, I'm sure. I, Pfizer I waits I a agree. week. I, I think that if you're talking conspiracy theories, why Pfizer waited two weeks when they knew, when the guy met with the president, the president was, uh, must have been sworn to secrecy. They told him how optimistic everything was. They didn't give him the numbers, but it would have made all the difference. One, two weeks earlier would have made all, two weeks ago would have made all the difference. One week ago in the election. Right. He could have uh, he could have had every one of those rallies touted the, that vaccine. He would have gotten even more enthusiasm. While the market and raged, and while the market raged uh, high, like it went up about a thousand points for a while. But right. I'll, I'll add this to it: uh, it's not even a conspiracy theory. Uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services Azar said he found out Monday about the vaccine. The Biden camp was told on Sunday. I mean, what is what is going on here? Well, I, I think that it is sad when something where life itself is the issue can be politicized. And it shows you that I, I really do believe that there are structural 
inequities in American politics that make it harder for a Republican to be elected than a Democrat. And I think the, demo, the demographics of the country are moving in a direction that if they aren't corrected, you're going to have a one-party state in this uh, one-party uh, country. Well, here's what Kevin McCarthy said about, your, uh, about that one party. That party's diversifying, and that explains the surge in House seats for Republicans. Cut 33. The Republican Party is more diverse than they've ever been before. We have more women in Congress as Republicans than at any given time. Every Democrat lost lost to either a Republican woman, a Republican minority, or a Republican veteran. And the unique thing is they didn't defeat Can't. any incumbents. This is what their problem is. AOC has taken over. Omar, Tlaib, all of them have taken over the party. And they are primarying these Democrats if they will not go along with the socialist agenda. And you saw what the gains they made. Well, I think that it's spectacular. It also shows uh, that th- there is no appetite in this country for the kind of radical change. You know, I always speak highly of AOC as a role model for uh, young women of color particularly, but young women and uh, young people generally. But her policies are pakakta. They're like college policies. They're like uh, so filled with idealism. You know, socialism is an idealistic kind of idea. Sharing, everybody benefits, nobody's too poor, no one's too hungry, uh, no one doesn't get the medicine they, they need. I mean, they're wonderful you know, concepts to go along with socialism. It doesn't work. It becomes Venezuela. It becomes Cuba. It becomes the old Soviet Union, which leads to a breakup. It doesn't work. Defunding the cops and Minneapolis, they're crying to get, uh, you know, special police hired to w- watch their neighborhoods that are, or, uh, are in such peril right now, a crime rising. You know, it's, uh, they don't work. And I think Manchin's defection from the Democratic Party is only the beginning. They, they are, they're into all self-interest. They're going to be running for election in a couple of years. They're not going to allow uh, the Chuck Schumer to lead from a kind of New York hyper-liberal uh, yeah. point of view. That's it, not going to happen. It, it's bad for the country. Uh, Paul Ryan, whatever you think of him, if you're a Democrat, he was even-handed. Yeah, he was partisan, he was real Republican, but he could see all sides. Nancy Pelosi doesn't. Their three leaders are all 80-plus years old, Clyburn, Steny Hoyer, and Nancy Pelosi. If you don't get the message after being humiliated in this last election in these House races, and the worst is yet to come, Burgess Owens is going to be elevated uh, probably today. So um, they really did well in the House, and that also bodes well for the president's legacy. Uh, And, of course, he wants to be Grover Cleveland and come back again if he does lose. Geraldo Rivera, thank you so much. Okay, Brian, have a great weekend, buddy. You too. Uh, When we come back, we're going to take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Gallup said, did a poll, and said, are you ready to lock down if they tell you to? 51% said no. Where do you stand? Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It it occurs to me that Trump is so evil at this point. I really think he's evil. I think he he absolutely relishes the idea that things are getting worse and it's going to be in, in Biden's lap. I really think he likes that. That's how sick he is. 
That is Joy Behar, who is the angriest woman in comedy. And she sits at home, as she says, she just sits there all day. You know, the view doesn't come to work. They don't go to the same station. So they're just uh, Trump haters. Uh, and, and she's just spouting off. But we're looking at possibly a lockdown. If you think the president wants that, you're crazy. He's got a task force doing that. Just because he's not having press conferences every day doesn't mean they're not working on it. The vice president had a meeting the other day. Meanwhile, in New York, they still have 16,000-plus unrented apartments, and that number's up from 14,000 in September. And they're going to look to lockdown again if we go over 3% and shut down schools. That means people can't go to work because their kids are now home. Terry, listen to WSKY in Florida. Hey, Terry. Hey, Brian. I have a question. If if Georgia does their count— and it turns out that the significant amount of votes were affected by Dominion, and it turns it red. Wouldn't that be a strong case for a recount on all states that had the Dominion software? I think so. I absolutely think so. Why not? You know. And uh, I would stay on top of this. I mean, when they challenged it in those four, five or six cases, every single time their hunch was right, and it never went for Democrats. Never went well. Look at that Democratic district. Why did it go for Why did it go for Donald Trump? It was always the other way around. But I'm not saying there's anything more than that. They said it didn't figure it to the tally. I've never tallied uh, county votes before, but they did write this down. That software and the lieutenant governor of Texas said he turned it down. He says I, I saw it through a stress test. I didn't like it. We didn't buy it. Fort Myers, Florida. Frank. Hey, Frank. Got a question for you. Why is the DOJ, Bill Barr, FBI, why is nothing happening with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden family? This corruption has been going on for years. I have a sense it's going to come out and the press is going to be kind of interested in a few months. And maybe it might be something that makes Joe Biden step aside. Maybe that's my conspiracy theory for the day. I don't do a lot of the conspiracy things, but it's such a strong story with legitimate leads, not unnamed sources. Tony Bobulinski is a real source. The people he met with are alive. Countries still have the same leadership. So maybe it's something the Democrats can't turn away from if Joe is not doing what he's supposed to do for Elizabeth Warren and for AOC. Think about that. But first things first, let's figure out this election. When we come back, we go inside one of the most consequential Senate runoffs ever, two of them, in Georgia. We'll decide the balance of power in the Senate. We'll get the inside track. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. John Podesta, who was chief of staff to Bill Clinton when George W. Bush was coming into office, was the person that I had to work with. He was the chief of staff. I was the incoming chief of staff to George W. Bush. And we had a similar situation. Tight election, 2000. 537 votes George Bush won by when the Supreme Court said you're the winner, which meant we didn't get to start our transition until after the Supreme Court made its decision. So we had very few days. That was found by the 9-11 Commission. And remember, the attacks on 9-11 happened in September of 2001. And George W. Bush took office in January of that year. And the 9-11 Commission said if there had been a longer transition and there had been cooperation, 
there might have been a better response or maybe even not even any attack. Well, that might be true, but they also went through that whole debate that whole season. No one ever brought up the name Al-Qaeda. That could have been the problem. It also could have been a problem that uh, Bill Clinton never took in, uh, never took a, a shot back at Al-Qaeda after they blew up the coal. That was another issue. But it was, a, it was a portion of it. Remember, we didn't get a president elect until December. Joining us now, a man who is also concerned about that, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. KRMG is his uh, home station that we're lucky enough to be carried on. He's a member of the Senate home, Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. And, Senator, you made some news uh, a couple of days ago when you said if President Trump doesn't read in Joe Biden on the presidential daily brief, give him permission, you'll look into helping Joe Biden get that read in. Are you going to move move on something today? Yeah, actually, by the way, good morning to you, Brian. Uh, uh, the uh, what I actually said is I have oversight over GSA, uh, which is the uh, governmental organization that actually makes the decisions on how they're going to do this. The earliest they can make that decision is today, Friday the thirteenth. Uh, and my comment was, if they don't make the decision today, I want to find out when they're going to make the decision, how they're going to make the decision. I'm going to step in and say, what, all right, how are you going to make this decision? Because a mistake was made in 2000 to not keep both candidates informed. As you just played uh, the clip there, the 9-11 Commission came back and said, hey, there was a gap in preparation uh, for the president. That was one of the factors that they found, and I don't want us to make that mistake again. So what, what people lose track of is both candidates have been receiving intelligence briefings for months, uh, starting in August. Both candidates have been receiving all these briefings. Joe Biden's shut off after the election, and uh, he is not elected. He is not selected by the American people. This is certainly not certified, and we have a long way to go on that. But just like we did during the campaign where both were being prepared, we should still be doing the same thing, both being prepared at this point, because one of the two is going to be president. And if you take politics out of this, national security trumps it. We should make sure, just like during September, we're also still in November, still preparing both of them to, to be prepared for national security issues. Have you picked up the phone and talked to the president? Uh, actually, Brian, I don't get into my conversations with the White House on it, but we are working with GSA and uh, and what actually is happening there, their preparation. Uh, we've already engaged with them and we'll continue to be able to engage. Again, I, I can't force them to make this decision, but I do want to know how it's going to be done because this is an issue uh, that we have faced as a nation before and said we made a mistake on it. I want to make sure we don't make that mistake again. Eventually, George Bush, even during the recount time period, did get access to it. Uh, so both of them, both George Bush and Al Gore, were getting the briefings, uh, but it took weeks for that to actually occur. And I just don't want it to take weeks and weeks again. Well, Barack Obama has a bio out. It's been a few years. We need to reflect back. He hasn't, I don't know if he's 60, he his third <laughs> biography. But he's had an extraordinary life, no question. And one of the issues that came up is pretty much what we're discussing now, and that's President Trump not uh, conceding. Cut eight. Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. Kamala Harris will be the next vice president. There is no legal basis. There's but he's no... getting support from members of the Republican Party who are not challenging him. And that has been disappointing. They obviously didn't think there was any fraud going on because they didn't say anything about it for the first two days. But there's damage to this because what happens is that the peaceful transfer of power, the notion that any of us who attain an elected office, whether it's dog catcher or president, are servants of the people. It's a temporary job. We're not above the rules. We're not above the law. That's the essence of our democracy. So why haven't you stood up to the president like Barack Obama wants you to? 
because no one is above the law. I do agree with the last statement that he made there, including the Secretary of State in Pennsylvania that just randomly changes the laws based on her preference for election, saying, no, I know the law says one thing, but I'm going to rule that it's another. A court has already stepped in and has said, no, those votes that you just declared valid, the law says are invalid. So President Obama was correct, and no one's above the law. So we should actually follow the law. And I don't know what he said in 2000 for Al Gore's challenge for 37 days and his request for four recounts and going to the Supreme Court twice. Uh, But I would tell you that everyone should just take a deep breath. Let's actually get the real answers in Georgia. Let's get the real answers in Pennsylvania and in Arizona and Nevada. Uh, There are legitimate questions out there. We already know there are people that both registered and voted after they were dead. Uh, We already know that there are votes that uh, were cast that were illegally cast in Pennsylvania because the court's already throwing them out. Uh, We don't know if there was this glitch that everyone talks about in the software system. The best way to determine that is a hand recount, and that is ongoing right now uh, in Georgia for them doing a hand recount. So we're still – the the press is trying to say, move on. We've already declared it before any evidence has actually had time to actually get out. We're just simply saying allow the process to be able to go. Let's let every legal vote count. Uh, But if it's not a legal vote, it shouldn't be out there. So I'm watching the defund the cops push and the cops vilified over the last six months. I'm watching this next generation go up and say socialism because life's not fair. I'm watching uh, the whole electoral college thing. It's not fair to Democrats. Uh, We're going to add two more states. We're going to pack the court. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, the majority of the country is for this. I know it's wrong, but I thought they were for this. But do you also assume from this election that all those things do not sit well with most Americans? And isn't that why you gain so much in the House? And this is why you're on the doorstep of holding the Senate in a year in which the cycle shows you never should have been able to? Yep. This is the year the Democrats were all proclaiming the year of the blue wave and all the pundits and pollsters were all out there showing how bad Republicans were going to lose, except when actually people went to vote. And we didn't lose any seats in the House. In fact, we gained a dozen seats in the House. Uh, We uh, still are in control in the Senate. We've got two more seats that are up in Georgia, which will be exceptionally important uh, to have a 52-48 Senate to be able to be able to make sure that we are there and solid. And then we've got Republican legislature, state and Senate uh, seats and state houses all over the country uh, that we actually gained in. So, yes, this was a year that Americans stood up and said, we do not want socialism. We do not want that. And uh, so they ran on a ticket of socialism, and Americans responded, that's not what we want. It was pretty clear. So you're probably a year away from taking the House back, which would be so vitally important. But I think you might just be a month away from here seeing legitimate negotiation. Could we actually see negotiation on policy coming out of the House and the Senate? Uh, Am I reality-based in that assumption because things are going to be so close? We'll we'll see, Brian. Uh, We don't know yet what direction Democrats in the House are going to go. They're having an inter-party fight at this point in the House on direction, and they've got their very active young socialists that are out there just pounding away, saying, no, uh, this is our moment to take over the country. You've got Chuck Schumer uh, standing up in New York and saying, uh, first we take uh, Georgia and then we change America. Uh, So there's a whole group that they're out there saying, we still have this plan, but there's also a group of Democrats saying, hey, let's tone this down. Let's actually do what the American people are wanting us to do. They want us to work on infrastructure. They want us to be able to deal with uh, COVID-19. They want us to be able to deal with the most basic areas of national defense and security. And they're trying to be able to back their party away from the abyss. 
but at this point, they're, they're going to have to decide what they want to do. I could only hope that they would respond to where the American people are and to say, no, this is the right thing to be able to do. And let's work on the policy issues that Pelosi has blocked us from for the entire past two years. So we know the virus is raging everywhere. All 50 states, the numbers are going up. One of the advisors yep. to Joe Biden, Dr. Michael Osterholm, said this, cut 18. We could pay for a package right now to cover the, all of the wages, lost wages for individual workers, for losses to small companies, to medium-sized companies. Then we could lock down for four to six weeks. He thinks we should lock down for four to six weeks, Merkel style. Do you think the people of Oklahoma, the people of this country, uh, should think we should lock down and will accept that again? No, I do not. And I've noticed that Joe Biden didn't bring him out as a spokesperson for his policies before the election actually occurred. He waited till all the ballots were in, and then he brings out, here's what I really want to do. Prior to it, he was in his basement saying, hey, we'll just follow the science. And he, he stayed away from the, the conversation about lockdowns. But now they're making it pretty clear what they want to be able to do is go back and lock the country down. I am very aware. And in Oklahoma, we're seeing very high numbers. Our health professionals are saying, hey, we got to be careful. Thanksgiving's a high risk uh, moment for a lot of folks. I talked to somebody yesterday that they're literally self-quarantining themselves for the next two weeks starting this weekend so they can get to Thanksgiving with their family and not have to worry about possibly infecting very um, uh, high-risk individuals that are in their family. So I get lots of people are doing things to be able to protect people, but that is something we know a lot more now how to be able to protect each other and we have a lot of individuals that have had COVID and are on the other side of it. And you're talking about locking down people that have already had the virus uh, and telling them they can't go to work and they can't do this stuff. It, it just doesn't make sense. We're not in the same spot we were in in March uh, by far and shouldn't be there again. And uh, lastly, so what date do you think you'd feel comfortable holding out while uh, the president and his team examine Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin uh, and Arizona? What date do you well, think I, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable with we get past? Everything has to be done by December the 14th. That, that's the date. Everything has to be certified, and we've got to be able to get everything in. The court knows that. All the folks know that. Georgia's doing the recount uh, to have it done by November the 20th. Everybody's getting ahead of that to be able to give plenty of time to be able to evaluate that. So, again, we're not in a hurry. It took that long in, in 2000. Somehow we still had a country after that. Uh, and we survived and thrived. And so we, we, we can walk through this legal process and to be able to challenge it. The long-term lesson from this, uh, this is we've got to have states actually do a better election process in their state. In Oklahoma, we knew the results of our election five hours after the polls closed. That's because ballots had to be received by the end of the day on Election Day, 7 p.m. on Election Day when the polls closed, all the ballots that are absentee and everything else had to be in. A lot of states are like that. But we've got states like Georgia and Pennsylvania that a week or more later still are saying, I don't know how many ballots are out there still. That just creates instability in the process and lots of opportunity for mischief. And so the best thing that can happen is these state legislatures wake up and say, okay, let's fix our own election laws so we're not the cause of the whole country going through this turmoil uh, because we have election laws that are outdated. Very interesting, uh, Senator. So every day it's, it's, <laughs> every day is a challenge. Every day is a, a probing question. There's no time to reflect because things are just happening at a breakneck pace. Senator James Langford, thanks so much. You bet, Brian. Good to talk to you again. All right. Have a great weekend. one 408 7669 We're going to come back with your phone calls. I also want to get your take on the lockdown. Do you think that's the most responsible thing to do? I don't.
newsmakers, and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I get a little upset with the fact that all of these people that are out there that are talking about this, these bureaucrats, these mayors, these governors from these blue states for the most part, right, these bureaucrats that are talking about shutting government down, not a single one of them, not a single one have missed a paycheck. And, you know, the, the, the normal folks that are out there that are on the edge right now, that are, you know, that their, their small businesses have been driven into the ground by, by this mm-hmm. virus already to this extent. They cannot tolerate this. Ronnie Jackson, Dr. Ronnie Jackson knows everything. He, you know, he was in the White House. He knows about big decisions. He knows about Democrats and Republicans. And now he's a lawmaker in Texas. Texas is not immune from this virus. We've had, they've had the virus spread over a million cases. Obviously, most people know somebody that's been affected adversely from the virus or lost their lives. I get it. But there's also a lot of people who have to live with it. We've got 300-plus million people here, from the 6-year-old that needs to go to school to the 33-year-old that needs to continue with his or her career. So please, or the teacher that's got to go to work but has little kids at home and can't. We have to think this through. And what bothers me most is that you have a vice president, 78 years old, who's going to license it to doctors to no fault of their own, only have the medical profession as their background and will be continuing to get a paycheck. It would be different if all the politicians said, I will not take a paycheck while we're shut down. Uh, Let's go out to Prince in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Hey, Prince. Brian, how are we doing this morning? Thanks for taking the call. No problem, friends. Hey, look, let me ask you a question. What is stopping the uh, campaign or especially the legal of the presidency for doing their own count, a mail-in count that for just Trump voters? And just start with one state, Georgia. I feel that's going to give them a good number to start. It could be more. It could be even even with Biden. You just can't go to that campaign and take those ballots from there because there's ballots that are missing. There's ballots that have been turned over or otherwise flipped. I strongly think they need to do their own mail-in personal count. And that's going to give them a base, a, a footing. A, you know, they need to base build this case off of something, and it's got to be done. Listen, I, I, they keep telling me uh, Dominion is not a problem. Don't fall into it. It's a conspiracy theory. All I'm telling you is if you look at the New York Times, they, they chronicle problems they have, but they, they stopped it before it went into the final tally. At the very least, that is the type of thing that, that flipped votes away from the Republican, not the Democrat. I'm not saying it changed the election. But I am not satisfied reading the New York Times story that this isn't a legitimate issue that needs to be pursued. Just like the dead people voting, I don't think we should accept a certain amount of fraud endemic in the system. Thanks so much for the call. Frank, WDBO in Orlando. Frank. How are you doing, sir? Thank you very much for taking my call. No problem. Go ahead. I, had, I, I, I know how they can fix the ballot issue right now. Go ahead. There's, and I'll get your opinion on it. There's. There's two things that they can do. The FBI can put out to all the the states involved 
that anyone that comes forward gets full immunity for saying this is what I did or this is what I saw. And second, at the same time, say, any, we're going to investigate this. And if you get caught, you're going to federal prison, period. And because normal uh, well, people are saying, yeah, I really want – I don't like Trump. I want Biden in there. But they're not going to risk their family, their lives to do that for someone like that for a political reason. So I think that will bring them out, and that will take care of it. And the other thing is when they're checking these ballots, why can't they have two – uh, like dual validation. The Democrat looks at them, they slide the pile over to the Republican, and the Republican goes through it and does the validation. Every state's different. Every county's different. It bothers me, Frank. We really got to take a look at this with people with a blue ribbon committee that has teeth to re- to actually throw the best possible. I'm not telling Oregon's got to be like Iowa. I'm not saying that. But there's got to be some fundamental standards to remove all this doubt. They just came out with a statement, which I found unbelievable. These are the safest, most secure elections ever. Really? Compared to what? How did you go over that? Maybe if you want to say in terms of foreign influence, I got it. But we're in the age in which social media is changing everything. And the way the most brilliant software expert might be 19 years old. So uh, thanks so much for the call. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. If anybody wants a good history book, I could sign and send. Just go. You can get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans. You can pick up Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, or George Washington's Secret Six to get away from politics of today and appreciate our country. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is your show, The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up this hour, Bill Crane brings us inside the Georgia recount, and he'll also bring us inside the two Senate races that will decide the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Besides that, not much going on in Georgia these days. They're counting by hand. I think Wisconsin's heading the same direction, and the president's really looking into this software, uh, this Dominion software. Everyone says, well, it's no problem, but I'm looking at the examples when the software did flip some votes, they examined it, got it before the final tally. But that would give me pause, especially if I was convinced, like the president, that I actually won the election. A couple of networks joined the, joined Fox in saying Arizona was won by uh, Joe Biden. So we'll see. We're still waiting on North Carolina. I have no idea why they stopped counting or if they're focusing on something else. But the president should be getting those 15 uh, electoral votes. So let's get, before we get to Shannon Bream, who is ready to join us, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The only mandate that the American public said is they're against socialism. They're against defunding the off the police. And the one thing they really don't want to see is that Nancy Pelosi or the Democrats continue to lead. But we will win the majority in two years. In two years, but not there yet. They are so close. They're at 203 now. They're supposed to pick up some or most of the last 10 seats. Republicans are picking up more of those House seats. And the stunning surge caught all posters by surprise and has a lot of consternation. And blame going to AOC and the squad. She's more into 1619 and socialism than was supposed 1776 and free market principles. Number two. 
With cases and hospitalizations rising, Chicago is telling its residents to stay inside. Do not have guests over. Avoid unnecessary travel and cancel your traditional no. Thanksgiving plans. Not this time. The American people are making it clear they are not locking down again, even if the coronavirus surges. Here's the main reason. It doesn't work. And the pain and destruction are not worth the sacrifice. But is that exactly what Joe Biden's going to try to do? Number one. There was a win today in Pennsylvania for the campaign and for voters alike. This supports our continued assertion that the Secretary of State continues to play fast and loose with statutory dates and deadlines and has done so throughout this entire election. Matt Morgan for the Trump campaign on a press call yesterday. The fight continues for President Trump as recounts and challenges are picking up steam 10 days after the election. And let's bring in Shannon Bream. Hey, Shannon. Good morning, Brian. Shannon, I don't want to get into detail on it, but for the most part, they did get a victory yesterday, the Trump campaign. Essentially what? That these these ballots that came in on Election Day or after are not going to count or put in a separate pile? And maybe the number could amount to 10,000? Yeah, I mean, essentially what happened there was the Secretary of State there in Pennsylvania had arbitrarily gone and made this extra window of time in which ballots would be, if they arrived during that, that window, be counted. Um, and this is a case they've fought at the state level. It's sitting at the Supreme Court now, too, saying only state legislatures can change election policy. You can't just unilaterally did that. And that's what the state Pennsylvania court said yesterday to her. So that's one. When you look at uh, Dominion, are we to, to understand the conventional wisdom is this Dominion software should not be examined, that it's OK, that people that are worried about it are blowing it out of proportion? I think that you're going to have to have some witnesses, some sworn statements, some people who say, I saw it do X. I think you're going to have to have either a whistleblower, if there's anything to blow a whistle about, someone from the inside or somebody to come out like that to be able to prove any of these allegations. I think um, I listen, you get bombarded with it. I do two texts and calls and emails and social media from people who say, check this out, look at this. But a court won't do anything with that unless you have, you know, sworn testimony from somebody who says, I saw it switch votes. I saw it do X. I know it can do X. Um, so I think that there's a there's a, a, a big uphill battle to chip away at that. Legally, um, you've got to have somebody to come forward and say, I saw it myself. Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, like, I'm looking at the New York Times story today. They say two of the five counties in Michigan and Georgia had problems. Uh, one with the software, so one was software related. They blamed the error in, in Michigan on operator error, human error. It delayed the reporting in Georgia. It slowed down the ability to check people in, also in Georgia. In one county, in which was thought to be very Republican, they had the challenger Democrat win by 2,500 votes. It made them go back. It turns out the Republican won by 3,000. So they said, we fixed it before publishing it. Well, great, but what am I thinking if I'm a Republican president who thought he was going to win? And when all these problems seem to go the other direction, and it might be – I'm not a software expert. Um, if I had the time, I would go get my software degree. I don't know. It doesn't seem as powerful uh, on paper. And Michigan says they intentionally uh, – uh, they said that they – Biden beat Trump uh, by about 3,000 votes, and that seemed wrong. So they fixed it without without hurting the pro-Trump votes and the pro-Republican votes. In Oklahoma County, they continued uh, to look. They voted twice. They counted ballots twice uh, in Rochester Hills. They went and fixed it when they realized the error of their ways. And unofficial tallies, they say, were not affected. But the fact that they're having those problems gives me pause, knowing how prevalent it is. 
And I want you to hear what the lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, said yesterday. Cut four. Let's just put it this way. If Dominion were designing software for an airplane, I would not advise you to get on it. These are, in my view, a piece of junk. And we said we cannot have these machines in our state. Furthermore, that, our expert yeah. said these are prone to manipulation and fraud. And in one case, one of our experts, Sean, took their cell phone, hooked it up to a USB port, and were able to download all of the information from that voting machine into their cell phone. Uh, these machines were used in Maricopa County. We need a recount. 65 of 83 counties in Michigan. We need all of those to be recounted. So, look, uh, he's partisan. He's a Republican. We all know that. He also owns one of our great affiliates, KSCV, over in Houston. You know Dan Patrick. He's a former broadcaster. I mean, it, it's not just some pundit on, the, on, a, on a fringe channel <laughs> spouting off because he wanted Donald Trump to win. Yeah, and there has been testimony on Capitol Hill, not with respect to this exact situation, but about these machines and about the software and how um, somebody who's familiar with coding, unlike yourself, but work on that degree. You can do it from home, by the way, you know, um, <laughs> these days. You can do anything. Uh, but they have talked about the fact that somebody who knows how to code would be able to tinker with the software, with the machine, with these programs, and that you always have to have an eagle eye on it. And if you say that uh, a mistake of thousands of votes was operator error, then you know it's possible for there to be some kind of human intrusion into the process. So I think people who have um, questions and, and can point to specific situations in which there was a reverse in votes uh, and that things did change. I think it does raise a lot of serious questions, and that's the problem right now. People are lacking confidence in, in this situation because even when it comes to hand recounting and hand counting ballots and absentees and looking in envelopes, people feel like there's not been transparency. And if you're saying we don't want to recount, we don't want people looking at what we're doing, we they got to stay this far away, they can't see the ballots themselves, all of that just engenders doubt for people and um, – they're right to ask questions. I mean, transparency is the key, whether it's the software or whether it's these human counts. I think the more you can open it up, the better people are going to feel. I thought so. And Jonathan Turley thought so. And but President Obama didn't. Um, here's what he said. Cut seven. When Donald Trump won, I stayed up until two thirty in the morning and I then called Donald Trump to congratulate him. His margin of victory over Hillary Clinton wasn't greater than yeah. Joe Biden's margin yeah. over him. Yeah. But if you are listening to some of the talk radio that Trump voters are listening to, if you're watching Fox News, if you're getting these tweets, those allegations are presented as facts. So you've got millions of people out there who think, oh, yeah, there must be cheating because the president said so. How insulting is that? They're all presented. Everything that the president tweets out is presented as fact. Everything that we hear is presented as fact. What an insult, especially for someone like you who does a new show, a hard news show at 11 o'clock every night. Yeah, and the stuff that we're trying to stick to are sworn affidavits with yeah. people who put their names, their faces on the line saying, this is what I saw. I mean, the biggest issue that we've seen is at the TCF Center in Detroit. We've got multiple affidavits from people who are attorneys, pastors, 
city workers. I mean, these are people who are not doing it anonymously or making some, you know, Twitter rumor mill situation. They are doing this under sworn penalty of perjury. So I think that's worth looking at. And to disregard every one of those people who's come forward as some kind of a kook or a liar is not fair to them. I think you're going to have some in the bunch, but there are plenty of other people who are very well respected in their communities and are putting their professional names on the line as well. And I think if they're willing to do that, it's worth it for us to vet that and look into it. All right. So the other big story, and there's like 10 of them, but is the, the, the slow shutdown that's happening again to the country and a president that could be taking power that is all for it. To a degree. I'll listen to the scientists who still get paid while everyone else shuts down and watches their life wither away. Justice Supreme Court Justice Alito warned, uh, weighed in, and he warned that the coronavirus restriction should not outlast the uh, pandemic. He believes the First de- uh, Amendment's been severely curtailed. He is extremely concerned about it. Here's the quote. The pandemic has resulted in previously unimaginable restrictions on individual liberty. Uh, Alito said in an address to the conservative Federalist Society uh, earlier he said he was not diminishing the severity of the virus uh, or the threat to public health or saying that anything about whether any of the restrictions represent good public policy. He cautions against his words being twisted or misunderstood, but he said it's an indisputable statement of fact that we have never before seen restrictions as severe, extensive, and prolonged as these experienced in 2020. I 100% agree, especially the way we're educated on this we do not want our jobs and livelihood taken away, our gyms closed, our restaurants shuttered, those people out of business because some politician who's getting direct deposit to their account decides it's too dangerous for us. They're our parents. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's getting a lot of heat for that speech last night. But as he said, and you noted, I don't want my words twisted. And he said, even in the speech, but just the way things that are, are, are right now, they probably will be. So I'm saying it as plainly as I can. He said it's a constitutional stress test. The fact that so many restrictions are, are, have been done, um, people and governors using executive power, um, he said there's a place for it. But, they're, but now they're butting up against constitutional rights like religious freedom, like being able to go to your house of worship. And we've seen this, you know, at the diocese, Catholic diocese in Brooklyn. We've seen churches in Nevada and California all over the place that have sued to say, why can casinos and pet stores be open, but we can't have church services? I Walmart. Mean, he's just warning, listen, you have, to, you have to think logically about this. And there's a reason the Constitution builds in so many protections and freedoms for people, um, because, yes, there are going to be emergencies. But he said, where does that end? Where do you say, well, no, this qualifies and that qualifies? He's very concerned about uh, the pressure on the Constitution and our rights under it. Absolutely, Shannon. You, of course, with your law background, has got to bother you, too. And also you're very religious. And now we have in Brooklyn, I had the lawyer on today uh, from mm-hmm. the Beckett firm or the Beckett Fund. And they are suing on behalf of the diocesis in Brooklyn saying, you're going to shut down our place again. We told you we'll give spacing. We told you we're going to wear masks. We told you we'd lessen capacity. But this is lasting way too long, and you're about to do it again. And it's almost as if you're helpless. And you say to yourself, what happened? Where did I lose power? Why do I give a governor and a bad mayor this type of power over what I do with my life and the risks that I take? Yeah, especially if you can go shopping and you can go to other outlets and you can go to all kinds of you know, different fun places in Nevada at the casino. You know, just yeah. Toledo talked about, you better hope you're not 51st in line to get into your church because the limit's 50. Meanwhile, you can go to Cirque du Soleil and go drinking and gambling. You know, I mean, there's some of it that just doesn't make sense, and it does not line up with the Constitution. Mm. He said there's no um, 
blackjack clause in the Constitution, but there is one for religious freedom and expression of worship. So, I mean, I think he's he's upset a lot of people by being so vocal about a lot of Good. very controversial things he said last night. Um, but I think when it comes to these constitutional issues, he's right. You have to take a good look at where the power uh, of the uh, executive ends and the power of people uh, supersedes. Absolutely. And my last uh, point on this is, uh, and it was a good one. I hope it didn't fly in my head. Oh, here's a new one in New York. I don't know if you guys got this in Washington. You are not allowed to stay in a restaurant past 10 o'clock. So they're going to walk around with styrofoam boxes and they're going to say, pack it up, get out. <laughs> As if the virus no, is on a timer. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. That's when the virus really kicks in. Let's get out quickly. Come on. Who are these people making up these stupid rules? I know. And for a lot of people, you can say, all right, listen, I can understand maybe later in the night in the bars, you get more crowded, you're drinking more, you kind of lose good sense about distancing or whatever it is. Um, But so many of these restaurants are hanging on by a thread, the ones that are already closed. And you know if you go inside, they've got you spaced out every third or fourth table. I don't know how they're even making enough money to stay open doing that. Um, But the fact that you're going to cut them off now at 10 o'clock, you know in New York people are just getting going. At 10 o'clock uh, at night, a lot of people. That's when I start so, stretching out my hamstrings. I'm ready to dance the night away. Exactly. I've seen it in person. Right. So it's true. And you're going to have to shut down the nightclub <laughs> at 10 p.m., which, you know, right. that's when people are just getting there. So I'm worried for these businesses. And, and it, it people will not digest and accept this stuff when it makes no sense to them. The virus has a bedtime and a time that it gets up and everything else. People are not going to want to comply when they don't feel like it makes sense. The only time you're jealous of me is Fridays because, you know, when I get done with the radio show, I get a, I do a couple of extra things and then I can go home. But you have to work. You have to prepare. So your Friday doesn't start till midnight. And that's the only time that Chad and Bream is jealous of me. Am I right? Well, listen, you and your hot fudge Sundays and running around, <laughs> you know, you're having a good time all the time. Right. All right. That's what I do on the weekends. I run up the calories. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate it. You earned it. Listen to yeah. her at 11. Uh, watch her every day at 11 o'clock. Thanks so much. Uh, Eastern time. When we come back, your turn. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe Biden spent a lot of time traveling the world, and a lot of these foreign leaders have his direct number. He's spoken to a number of them directly. He spoke to Prime Minister Boris Johnson directly. He's spoken to President Angela Merkel uh, directly. He spoke to uh, the Pope uh, yesterday, in fact. And so uh, a lot of these world leaders uh, know how to reach him. Uh, he is speaking to them. They are congratulating him on his election as president. They are looking forward to working with him. Ron Klain, the chief of staff for Vice President Biden, if he becomes president of the United States, he's a longtime friend. Uh, and he was the one who said we really screwed up the, the our first shot at the H1N1 virus. He said 60,000 people got it. We The only reason it didn't become a, made, a major catastrophe is they, they lucked out, as I paraphrase what he said. So sooner or later, we're going to realize this isn't President Trump's fault. When I realized that the Biden plan to control the pandemic is the Trump plan only using the Biden people. And I'm really concerned we're going to lock down again. Al, listen on WXJB in Clearwater, Florida. Al. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your hey, mind? Enjoy your show, buddy. I agree with about 99.9% of what you say, and I love your whimsical attitude at times. All right. Thank you. But anyway, hey, I'm finally, I just caught you earlier. I hadn't, wasn't really listening. I turned it on and caught you speaking about uh, electronic voting machines. Yeah. And I was surprised when the glitch came up in Georgia, I believe it was. Yes, and in Michigan. 
of Michigan too, right? Well, believe me, there's probably more glitches than that out there. But I recall many years back, it was probably post the 2000 debacle that brought about all this curiosities with these things. But I remember watching and just caught accidentally a Senate hearing where some gentleman was speaking, I believe, as an expert because of his company manufacturing electronic devices. And uh, he was stating things. I can't recall everything he said, but he was just speaking openly about how things are handled and uh, software-based. And he said that he was approached by individuals to ask if he could manipulate these machines to make them yeah. do whatever they want. Uh, he said, hey, well, sure I, I, I just, yeah, I'm sure it happened. I just don't know where that's from. I want to get a software expert on. That's my main thing. I want to get politics out of it and find out if something major went wrong. Because if a few dead people here and a few ballots here, it's not going to add up to enough to make up the deficit for the president. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Recount Georgia. That recount must start tomorrow. We are ready for it. And unlike in Pennsylvania, at least in Georgia, we have we will have observing rights to this recount in Georgia. We will have officially designated monitors who will be allowed in recount locations throughout the state. And we will avail ourselves of that right to ensure that what happened in Pennsylvania does not happen in Georgia. And that's the problem. So we're going to get, even though the attorney general, the Republican, was under fire by Republicans and the Trump team, uh, they're going to get their hand recount. And let's just hope people are going to feel comfortable with it. Uh, And some say it's an audit. Let's get the clarity on this with Bill Crane, senior communications strategist and the chief political analyst commentator for WSB Radio, one of the most successful radio stations in the entire nation, out in in, uh, WSB-TV Action News in Atlanta. I was lucky enough to uh, to talk with you, Bill, on election night, and nothing. It's actually election season now, <laughs> so it's not yeah, really this is over a never yet. Never ending. We're in we're in double secret triple overtime. It feels like in a playoff game, and uh, we'll be in suspense, if you will, on a variety of different issues until in Georgia, January the sixth or so, assuming that is not as close a contest for that election, the two Senate runoffs. Yeah, and first up, just to get through this out of the way, you guys are not recounting the Senate race, right? No, they did not fall within the margin under Georgia law, which is half a percentage point or less because there was a libertarian in that Senate race who got 2.45 percent of the vote, the law in Georgia for the Senate, and statewide contest is a majority. So the winner to escape a runoff has to have 50 percent plus a vote. David Perdue had well over that on election night, but as the additional Metro votes came in, and particularly the mail-in votes, his margin kept shrinking, and that plus the 2.4% seven from the libertarian pushed both of the nominees, the Democratic and Republican, below the fifty percent threshold, thus the runoff. And Purdue won by about two points, right? Correct. Yeah. And then Warnock was top spot, but Doug Collins was in the race. Kelly uh, uh Loeffler was uh the the one who was placed there by Brian Kemp, the governor. And uh so she's assumed to be getting the Collins support. So do you li- label her as the favorite? Um, Doug Collins endorsed her on election night, but there's still some fence mending to be done within the Georgia GOP and another fissure around the way this recount is going down. Um, I would say of the two races, I would favor David Perdue, the incumbent senator, and the other race 
to to be both in polling and just kind of gut the way runoffs have gone here in Georgia. I've been involved in a couple before. Republicans have typically had an organizational and a financial advantage. That's different now, and we can talk about it if we have time. Um, and then in the open primary race, Kelly Loeffler and um, Reverend Raphael Warnock, that's a little harder to call because there's enthusiasm on the Democratic side and an organization here called Fair Fight Georgia – Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor in 2018, has raised $27 million in the two years since that election and hadn't deployed a significant amount of that prior to November the 3rd. So there are resources to bring to bear to identify and turn out Democratic voters, which typically might not come back out in the midst of the holiday season to advance vote or vote absentee. So very interesting. So, But money doesn't bring victory. We saw that in South Carolina. We saw that in Kentucky. We saw that in Iowa. So it could it could close the gap, but it doesn't necessarily bring victory. Do you think it's going to be an impact this whole push to 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 form residency in Atlanta in in, uh, in Georgia? Could that actually make think, an impact? I think a lot of people are getting their panties in a bunch about that. But no, I think you know Andrew Yang, who's a former presidential candidate, announced he and his wife were moving here and going to become residents for the period of the election runoffs. And and I, you know, Georgia is one of the fastest growing states in the nation. Has been for about 25 years. We gain about 100,000 new residents every year, which factors out to about. 10 or so thousand people moving here every month. I think um, with the entertainment industry as big as it is here and some of that moving back since the pandemic was calming down, we're back in the red zone right now, there's obviously the opportunity for a few hundred or maybe even a couple thousand folks to come here and you have to document residency, but to declare residency in time for the December 7th cutoff for registration. But again, it's sort of like the one or two dead people that we've you know uncovered so far and uh, tabulation review, I don't think it's statistically going to be relevant. Have you had a chance, Bill Crane, to look at the exit polls or get a sense of who voted for who and why in the presidential? Uh, yes, and in Georgia, though, I, I question their accuracy again because I think a lot of Love. voters are not shooting straight with exit pollsters anymore. But a couple of the things that were surprising to the president um, were the number of African-American males, which were in the low teens, and the rising number of Hispanic voters in Georgia. We do not have a significant Cuban-American population in Georgia, but the fastest-growing segment of our population is Hispanic, uh, most out of Latin America and Mexico, and they were breaking rather favorably for the president in the low 30s. For the president, the current president? For the president. Wow. That is correct. So that changed. Obviously, Texas, he had success. In Florida, he had success. Um, with the, the question uh, is whether or not the party can move on that in a neg- you know in a positive way going forward to broaden the tent or not or that was a fluke around Trump's one this time and last time. So what happened to Reliable Red Georgia? Is it just the new influx? Was it organization by the Democratic Party? I think in the metropolitan area we saw in 2016 um, the core red counties of Cobb, Gwinnett, Fayette. Clayton, Rockdale, Henry, for demographic and other reasons, disdain for the then nominee of the GOP, Donald Trump, go for Hillary Clinton. Since that time, those population gains we're discussing, both were occurring in those key metro counties, and demographic shifts were underway so that Gwinnett County, which elected and put out a seven-term Republican district attorney and the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee in our state General Assembly, shifted decidedly, decidedly, pardon me, Democratic and Cobb County, which is where Newt Gingrich and Johnny Isaacson and kind of the Republican Party got its footing in Georgia, elected its first African-American female as county commission chair, elected a, a Democrat, a black Democrat sheriff, uh, had rather wholesale changes in their local 
political offices as well as going decidedly almost three to one in favor of Joe Biden. So the suburbs of metro Atlanta are the are the main mover in the purpling of Georgia. And this president, I would contend, didn't get 71.37 million votes. He got about 100 million votes, just 30 million or so of those voted against him via Joe Biden. I think I think this election was a referendum on Mr. Trump. He did incredibly well in outstate Georgia. We got 159 counties here. He probably won somewhere like 130 of those. But in metropolitan Atlanta, he did poorly. And in the suburbs of metro Atlanta, which used to be a Republican stronghold, he got shellacked. So interesting. So I, I heard uh, one exit poll. Again, we don't we think people are not telling the truth that 51 percent of the people who voted for Joe Biden voted against Donald Trump. Uh, so I thought that was pretty significant. So, you know, it's not the Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. They had leg- legitimate popularity. Uh, I don't I think Joe Biden was a play is a placeholder. I don't think he won anyone over, complained the pandemic, stayed in his basement most of the time, didn't have any recognizable speeches, had no convention. So it was pretty much Donald Trump thumbs up, thumbs down. It seems, Bill. So if I'm if I'm David Perdue, if I'm Kelly Loeffler, what do I learn from the president's fate? That's even though the recounts underway and we'll talk about that. What do I learn? Well, what they are the doing state? right now is, is embracing the president still, and uh, Mike Pence will be here next week on Friday um, after the recount is supposedly certified. Um, and, and they are in no way distancing themselves from the White House or the Trump administration. They need that financial support and they need that voting base. I would recommend, because I've run campaigns, um, no one, neither party, nationally or in Georgia, played to the middle. And we will see turnout, which was record, and 5 billion voters for the general drop by half or more, even with this enthusiasm and even with all the other things we could discuss. So it's going to be not just about base, but independent and swing voters and people who didn't vote in the general election, because even though we had record turnout, it was only 70 percent. So 30 percent of the population just did bother. All of those people can vote in these two Senate runoffs. So it's identifying base and turning that out, getting it in early if you possibly can. I hope the president doesn't go into his lectures again about the Postal Service and not voting by mail. I don't think that was hurtful. Wait, wait, wait you can vote states. by mail for this? Yes. Really? Is that pandemic? Is that the reason? We changed in – well, we've always had 2 to 3 percent absentee ballots. We went to no-excuse absentee ballot voting about eight or ten years ago, so that number was creeping up. Advanced voting, which is voting early up to three weeks in front of the election, was going up. But during the pandemic, the state election board and the secretary of state and the governor all encouraged people for health reasons to vote early. One of those methods in Georgia is absentee mail-in voting. You have to request the ballot. It doesn't just come to you automatically. That number surged in Georgia to 1.37 million cast in the November general election. Those are the things that were being tabulated late that shifted decidedly in the vice president's favor. And there will be, and I've already put in a request myself, absentee voting that goes either through the mail or via Dropbox at your county election superintendent office and and other remote locations, all of which are monitored by video camera. I don't know after this election cycle, 2020, uh, if those drop boxes will remain an option. There's not only a cost of maintaining them, but the securing them is an issue. And uh, once we're out of this pandemic, that there are some things that may be tweaked. But mail-in voting is not going away in Georgia. But when can you start the voting? 
Um, we have already started the process of requesting absentees. Uh, the vendor, I think, is printing those ballots. And then three weeks backwards from January the 5th or two weeks, I have to double-check that because I got conflicting answers from a, an election superintendent and the, and the Secretary of State's office. But right about the week before Christmas is when you can start early voting. All right, now let's talk about the recount. And do you, what do you know about the Dominion software playing a role, uh, uh, inaccurate or accurately, down the line? We know a lot of people are down on it. Lieutenant Governor of, of Texas says we rejected it. We didn't like it. Uh, you guys used it in a, in a few counties. What do you know about it? Uh, Dominion Voting Services, the vendor, was implemented statewide. We had a rollout in January, and the Secretary of State's office recruited 50,000 um, volunteers and part-time workers who worked this general election after a rather poor performance in June in our general primary election. There was a glitch in Gwinnett County, which is one of those large metro suburbs where at a point 9,000 ballots were being mistabulated. Those were all pulled and then tabulated by hand. There was a glitch in Chatham County, Savannah. It wasn't as large, but where the, there was a performance issue with the software uh, and the scanners. I'm not aware of in the other 159 counties any significant issues with the Dominion voting equipment. However, there were glitches, if you will, what I'll call backups and bottlenecks, um, not as severe as they were in June, but at the point of check-in where you're you're showing your ID to the poll worker, they're checking your name on the list, but they're doing it using an iPad. Wi-Fi is not infinite, and um, there were backups there. There were challenges with the scanners jamming. You basically use it, the Dominion system. You vote on an electronic tablet. You put a card into the system which records your vote. You proof that. You print out a paper ballot that also has a QR code on it. You carry that paper ballot to the poll worker and the scanner. They scan it in, and then they keep and retain for audit purposes your paper ballot, and you leave. Um, that's a lot of moving parts. So there were other vendors who presented when the contract was let. There are 90 election superintendents around the state of the 159 voted for the system we went with, which is the Dominion Voting System uh, software. What we are doing now is called a hand re-canvas. They are in all 159 counties, with, again, the majority of that vote being in the metro area, um, separating into piles Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Libertarian nominee, no vote. Those were the four names which appeared on the ballot for president in our state. When all of those are separated, then they will be scanned in, not to read the scan and the ballots and not to read the QR code, but just to count the paper. And they'll be checking against each precinct what the totals that were reported each precinct. There are almost 3,000 of those against the county total and then reporting that back up to the state. So obviously the goal is that that uh, those numbers match, but if they don't, then they drill down into what's what's at issue at a county level or a precinct level. They will also, because they're doing this by hand, be looking for things like signature quality, if pencils were used versus pen, to determine if there's troubled ballots in the system. The thing where I think the president's uh, team and Doug Collins, who's leading his recount team, have an opportunity or a window is we allow something here in Georgia called ballot curing, which is a new term even for me, and I worked in the Secretary of State's office for five years and early in my, earlier in my career. You cast your ballot via absentee. You forget to sign it. You don't put your date of birth on it. You get an email from your county letting you know that the ballot was received, but you didn't sign it, so they can't tabulate your ballot, or you didn't put your date of birth on it, so they can't tabulate your ballot. And that is the way, again, in a heavy election, you get notified. What they allow this cycle that I believe is legal, but I see problematic and could see some challenges in court. Third parties could request that list of ballots that were set aside, and they did, and then they would go in and cross-reference 
Democratic and Republican voting trends in primaries and presidential preference primaries, and then groups like Fair Fight Georgia went out and knocked on doors to say, Ms. Kent, your ballot is not being tabulated. We need you to go with us or we'll give you a ride to the election superintendent's office to sign your ballot so it gets counted. And there were dozens of thousands of ballots cured across metropolitan Atlanta and the state of Georgia. And that to me is kind of a second crack at bat that most of us voters, and I've been voting since 1980, don't get. If I screw up when I cast my ballot, I screwed up. If I miscast the ballot right. and vote inadvertently for the wrong person, I screwed up. If I don't push send and I don't do the print, I screwed up. And so this gives those voters who did not accurately initially cast their absentee ballot an opportunity to correct it. And where the bargain came in decidedly for the vice president was with those laid out absentees. Wow. I, I can't imagine a better person to talk to with more detail that knocked about 20 fallacies out of the park than you, Bill. I, I, I just do me a favor. Don't change your number. I want to keep in touch <laughs> you with you. You know how to find me, Brian. Yeah. Bill, thank you so much. I truly Take appreciate care. it. Wow. Uh, that was fantastic. And there's not another there's not a more important state in the country right now, maybe outside Pennsylvania presidential. Um, but now we have the Senate races. Uh, Brian Kilmichel, back to wrap up this hour. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. In fact, the president is so sure he lost that he is talking privately about running again in 2024. But he's going to be so old by then. Forget descending an escalator. He'll have to make his announcement from a staircase chairlift. I mean, the guy's 74. For Pete's sake, by 2024, he'll be 78, which is... Exactly the right age for a president. Just a number, Joe. You go get him, buddy. Drink that Insure. Uh, that was uh, Stephen Colbert. Of course, you don't want to drink Insure. You want to have Jake Steinfeld's Don't Quit. And if you want a discount, DQ Brian uh, Insure. This is, that's a nutritional drink you want. It's Don't Quit. You can get it at Walmart, too. Now, let's find out if it's even more to know, guys. More to know. John Legend gets into a battle with Mark Cuban over stop sending. Mark Cuban basically tweets out, uh, stop sending money to Georgia for a presidential race. Send it to a food bank. There's so many people starving, literally, especially with Thanksgiving here. And John Legend came back to them. He goes, I get that politics is annoying contentious, but the bottom line is that the Senate flipping would be far more impactful than a food bank donation. We need massive stimulus and aid to individuals and small businesses. Government needs to do this. Charity isn't uh, isn't sufficient. And then Cuban fired back. Let's go all the way. Stop donating to charity. Give those dollars to politicians because one party will solve all the problems. Come on, John. There's point of diminishing returns on political and spending. He's 100% right. He's so Cuban's right. Cuban's right. Cuban was one. He's absolutely correct. And I mean, let's be real. John Legend, you can donate to both, too. I mean, he has enough money, but seriously, you need to donate at home first. Like, right. you're donating these politicians that truly won't impact the next meal on your table. Next, Tom Brady's dock and two jet skis floated away in a tropical storm. How is he ever going to get the money to replace them? That's the problem with living in Tampa. It never happened in New England. The tropical storm Edda battered the Tampa area. Brady discovered something missing. His jet skis and the dock. Keep in mind, it's Derek Jeter's. He's renting this house from Derek Jeter. Who's going to tell Jeter that his dock's gone? I want to know who found the jet skis and who got to return them. I know, really. (laughs) I was like, hey, I need a jet ski, but I really need Tom Brady's jet ski. Although he was pretty bad last week. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.